0: Welcome to Season 2 of Celebrate Story. If you've been with us before, welcome back. If you're new, welcome. Julie has some great things planned for this season. Today's episode is a reenactment of Julie's talk at ICU Talks in March. Um, We were hoping to get a recording from that, but there was a technical difficulty. Um, So Julie is giving the talk here again. Um, And this time, something new for Celebrate Story. We'll be posting a video to YouTube um, to accompany the podcast if you're so interested. So enjoy episode one of Celebrate Story, season two. Changing the narrative. Welcome. 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 To celebrate. To celebrate. Holly. Welcome to Celebrate Story. With my mom. My mom. My mom. With my mom. With my wife. Julie. Julie Wang Julie Wagner. Julie Wack. So excited to begin. Okay, so I have eight children. Um, And I'm always looking for ways when people first hear that, for that to not be like a divide of like, oh, you know, you're so different. Um, I'm always looking for ways to like let me bridge... (laughs) What my experience is to what you think it is, and I recently, when I was in the grocery store, I came across the best description I have so far of when people are like, "What is it like to have eight children?" So, when I was in, I think middle school, I would watch this um, show called Supermarket Sweep, and in Supermarket Sweep, you had two people, and I think it's like replayed very recently, is what my husband told me. Um, so maybe a lot of you have heard of this, but the way I remember it from middle school. And I would watch it every single day. It's like you had two people who were competing to spend the most that they possibly could in the grocery store. So they'd load in the meat and the diapers and the seafood and as much as they possibly could, whatever... Items took up a little amount of space, but also had a high price tag. They would try to get as much as they could of that in the cart. And so, and it was a race. It was an absolute and complete race of like shoveling large quantities of food into the cart as fast as they possibly could and racing to the checkout and checking out. And I was in the store the other day and I was in like this, like, (laughs) this, like, hurried space, this, like, I can't get enough ground turkey. I can't get enough loaves of bread. I can't put in enough jugs of milk into the cart. And it's like more and more when I shop for all 10 of us or 11, um, if you know, my oldest has his girlfriend over, it's like there's not enough room in the cart for all the groceries. And I'm like, this, I've felt this before. I have felt this before when I watched Supermarket Sweep. And it's like, you know, it's a lot more fun to watch someone go as fast as they can through the grocery store, spending as much money as they can through the grocery store, than it is doing that. (laughs) So, But I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, okay. So a few weeks ago, I was getting ready to go out of town and there was a moment that I'm going to keep feasting on this story, no matter how many times I retell it. There was a moment. So I was. it was like my best self moment, because here I'm about to leave town for the weekend. Steve, my husband, was going to hold down the fort with all of our kids. And my five-year-old started wailing and upset. And since I was feeling my best self, I went over to him, like bent down, got eye to eye. And I'm like... Tell me, tell me what's wrong. And through sobs, he told me, I got the worst God card and Zadie got the best God card. Okay, time out. The game that they, he was trying to play, which he is five, and he tries to keep up with the teenagers in my household. And don't you dare tell him he cannot keep up because he is fierce. And so he, they were playing this game called Santorini, I think is how you say it. And in Santorini, you build these cities. But also, everyone gets these cards, these powers, these God ca- god card powers. And certain powers are better than others. And he was telling me he didn't like the God card that he got. He liked, he was jealous of his sister's God card, which first of all, that could be a whole nother rabbit trail that the Julie Wagner of five years ago would have never let my children play a game that had God cards. I would have thought that was heretical. Um, We'll just set that aside for right now. But I just, I wish I took off my shoes and kissed the ground when he told me why he was upset. And this is why, because it was so pure, It was so pure that he was angry, and he was jealous, and he was disappointed. And I thought, hmm, how many hundreds of dollars have I spent, maybe thousands, in therapy to get in touch, or how many hundreds of miles have I run to get in touch with my anger and my jealousy and my deep disappointment? Because see, that to me is the metaphor among many, because I just... I'm a lover of metaphor. And it's like, that is a metaphor of what has happened in my life over the last five years. There's been moments where I'm looking and I'm like, I got this card that I'm holding. It's actually the worst God card. And I am so disappointed. Let me go back a little bit. So, you know, when my husband and I moved here with one toddler in 2004, um, the church was a place of belonging for us. Um, it helped us answer so many of the important questions of who we were, and where do we belong, and what is our purpose. It gave us answers to these really important questions, and I think one of the most pivotal things, the one of the things I am so grateful for um, about that period in our lives where I was really planting in at this church, is that it taught me that I love to storytell. It taught me that I come alive telling a story. And week after week, week after week, and I actually eventually ended up going on staff um, as the the a ministry director, children's ministry coordinator, not director, um, of zero through five-year-olds at church. And I loved it. I Absolutely loved it because I found that when I stood on that stage and told three, four, and five-year-olds that God loves them and God made them and He wanted to be their friend forever, that I got so much out of that because there was something in me that experienced the very presence of God is the best I could understand it in just leading them and then they were leading me. Their joy, their enthusiasm, and they're still Few things I love better than leading a group of children. Um, the joy they bring, the openness—it's—it's it's magic. And so I'm so grateful for that space at church that I could learn um, and practice storytelling. And it gave me a sense of perfect purpose. And it opened up other spaces where I did more storytelling within the moms' ministry. And it's like I discovered more and more of who I uniquely am. And so I'm so grateful for that. And at the same time, I'm still in this like reordering phase cuz there was a course of several different things in life that dominoed storms. I you know, maybe maybe I could use the metaphor of a storm intersected with um a hurricane and intersected with a tornado and also an earthquake. And it's like these things like hit one after another as they do, right? I'm sure you have your own. And these things started breaking all the answers that I had to my important questions. Okay, let me pause there. I got to bring in a book. So with eight children, um, I try really hard to read beautiful books. Um books that I love to read and this is a picture book and it's super simple and my um, twin teenagers learn to read on these books somewhat. This is one of the tools um, so these are like 10 years old in our house. I think this is like our second copy because it's been ripped up but I was reading this the other day and I love how the best stories, no matter how many times you hear them, they still have more and more and more meaning And so in this book, if you're not familiar with it, Elephant and piggy, they find out they are in a book. And they are so excited to realize that they're in a book. They're like literally starting to do cartwheels of excitement that they realize that they are in this book. They are in ecstasy. We are being read. We are in a book. And I thought, huh. That's that's like me. That's like anyone who has ever experienced being seen in something they love to do. Don't we all just want to be read? So they're so excited and they're so excited. And Piggy is like, "Oh, I have a good idea. I can make the reader say a word." You can make the reader say a word? I can if the reader reads out loud. So here they go on to have so much fun. That is a good idea. They have so much autonomy over being able to use this ability they have to be read. Here I go, banana. They crack themselves up. They're having so much fun being read. Isn't that so true? It is so fun to be read and to be seen. It is so human to want to be read. Our lives are our stories and we just want to be read. And so they just go on to have so much fun creating their story and being read. And just several pages more. They're having so much fun. And then here's the moment. Here's the moment I connect with so much. So here's the moment. Let's see. I hope I can get it on the camera. Do you want to turn? Before the book ends, I mean, look at this. We've got Gerald (laughs) so happy. This is me before I found out the God card I had wasn't the one I wanted. Before the book ends, what? Gerald is utterly shocked that the book ends. That's me. That's me. Two years ago, ends? The book ends? (laughs) I mean, just utter panic and shock that there's an ending, ending to a book. Yes, all books end. When will the book end? So there's this absolute shock and surprise and panic that the book ends. This is me. Two years ago, I had a hard time letting go of the baby ears, and I had a number of events that led to a very serious life-threatening situation. And at the same time, I was asking questions of like, what is the actual church? Like, I truly felt genuinely confused. I, I mistook um, an enterprise and what happened within four walls for the entirety of the church. And it was so beautiful to f- to receive answers in such a vulnerable way of that, that the church is also my neighbor down the street who might never set foot in my church, but the moment that I emergency need to go to the hospital— in an ambulance that she is moments away and so happy to do it and to come and help clean up the mess and help take care of my children. And she's on it. And then my whole neighborhood surrounds me like, how is that not the church? So I went through this period of like just truly panic and fear over the book ends, our lives end. I mean, this was a reckoning on top of so many other reckonings. Isn't this all life is? One reckoning after another, right? And not all life is, but you know what I mean? So it would be it, it's actually kind of funny. I have to laugh at it. Because there'd be times like Steve and I would just be having this amazing time with the kids and we'd be laughing and all that. And it just takes so much work to feed and clothe and entertain and take on vacation eight children and it is it's it's our life's work Um, and I love to share stories about that experience like the real experience of it and like at the end of the night one night we had like just we were like in the middle of a vacation and we were just having a great time but it was so work and so so much work and so tiring and we're like ready to fall asleep and I'm like Steve do you want to talk about death and dying how and how we're all going to die <laughs> He was less than enthusiastic to engage these conversations. As you can imagine, he was more than exhausted from all the work. But th- this, this was the state I was in. And it was like, this was the constant reminder. I'd be out in the middle of getting groceries at Sam's Club. And I'd just look around and I'd be like, we are all going to die. What are we doing with our lives? So, you know, Gerald's like, The book is going too fast. I have more to give. I love it. Such total panic. The book ends. I have more to give. I feel you, Gerald. More words. More jokes. More bananas. I love it. I just want to be read. I have a good idea, Piggy says. Whisper, whisper, whisper. That is a good idea. Hello, will you please read us again? I hope this works. Me too. So, y'all, I've thought in in at length about all the connections in this book. And I just think it presents this just beautiful metaphor for truly what I was wrestling with. Like, what is the church? Like, what is my story? Where will I put my passions? Where will I focus my purpose? Because the book ends. And that's literally how this podcast was birthed out of all those wrestlings. I don't I I'll spend the rest of my life asking those questions. In fact, this season I have three different authors that I really really admire some of the ways they're asking these questions and honestly looking at some of the challenges of the church. And I and I'm going to talk with them and interview them because good stories, I absolutely agree, should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So for me, I'm changing the narrative. For me, I'm practicing accepting that God is not some sort of theology that I could memorize and put on a card. Because see, those moments for me, that, those, that story, you know, when I'm knee deep in asking what is the actual church, like I'm wrestling with like, okay, here's a church leader who is supposedly you know, like on the same team, and they're spreading rumors about my family, which is so painful. And then here's this acquaintance in the neighborhood that I'm supposed to be inviting her to church to tell her all about the things that we have figured out about our church. And this neighbor, you know, is 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 into things that my church theology has taught me that is absolutely wrong and outside of the scope of what a good Christian is. And so, What do you do with that? What do you do with when you're involved in a business, a multi-level marketing system that they're interested in Bible studies, they're putting profits in the back seat, and they're caring about relationships, and then the church you're in, you're sensing sometimes in some corners and some cracks the opposite. So it's like, what do you do with that? What do you do with, here's the leader that's in church, that's platformed and highlighted, spreading rumors. And here's the tarot card reading neighbor that I'm supposed to evangelize and invite to church being such a light and grace and spirit of generosity. It's like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? So that that just led to all the questions of what is the actual church and who really does have the answers? Because My best guess is the church has many, Christ doesn't have, and Christ has many, the church doesn't have. So I'm trying to change the narrative. I'm trying to accept that it all belongs. I'm trying to accept that God is never, ever something that I could put on a card. There's never a theology class I could take. There is no amount of books that I could read that would describe, oh, this is exactly who God is. There's no denomination in the history that has all the answers on the card. And it's delusional to think that we ever would get the best God card. And that maybe, just maybe, God isn't a card that we hold, but something so big and so great that holds us. What if it is true? What if it is true that His love is so big and so great and so never-ending that it holds us in ways that we cannot possibly begin to imagine? What if it's not that things that we can figure out, that we can intellectualize, that we can even put into words, but words are all we have? So that's what I'm asking. That's where I'm changing the narrative. It's it's never something I could summarize and put on a card, but that God, that truth, love, is something that holds me that is so much bigger. Because if I can hold it on a card, I can wield it over someone. And I can be ignorant and arrogant about my superiority because I have the best God card. And if it's something that holds me, it is forever humbling me. And it is forever holding me. And that I will never get to the end of this endless knowability of love and grace and hope, it's not something I can put on a card. And you know, I'm—I got to tell you, a little bit ago I saw an article and it was like talking about how oh, deconstruction is so trendy. I I, I struggled with that because I thought I know some people call it auditing, some people call it deconstructing, some people call it connecting with their self, but like. At some point in so many of our lives, you're like, did all these answers work for me? The ones I've formed? Because you start to see the cracks, the subtle, subtle cracks and problems and any answers that weren't true enough and strong enough. And so you start to see those and it it can be a reckoning. It can be a reckoning. And so, you know, I understand that like There's a lot to understand about each person's questioning or reckoning or deconstruction or, you know, like we all see that differently. But deconstruction, that word works for me. But it pains me because the article was like, oh, you know, some people are into deconstruction because it's trendy. And I thought, trendy? Trendy? There's nothing trendy about existential dread and panic. There's nothing trendy about building your life on answers, on a God card that you thought was right, and then it crumbles. There's nothing trendy about that. That is like a severe reckoning with your mental and spiritual health. You know, if you break an arm or break a wrist, leg, you have a cast, and it's so obvious. It's like, okay, this person, they are in pain. And We modify, right? You hold the door open, you do all those things. But when someone's mind breaks, when their heart breaks, there is no physical evidence. And the American way is to fake it until you make it. And there is, there's like this endless universe inside of us all. And there's heartbreaks going on in so many of our lives. And there's so little time to dig into it. And something that really hit me that I made peace with, it's like, what can't be deconstructed? And I'm I'm making a list. The list isn't finished. So help me finish the list. When I share this post, I'd love for you to add your own things that cannot be deconstructed, cannot be audited, cannot be reckoned with, that are real and solid and true and Eternal. And I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I have some memories. I have some memories that cannot be deconstructed. It cannot be de- deconstructed the moment that your whole family is at the top the highest hill that you can find in your neighborhood watching the sunset in shutdown two weeks into COVID. That moment can never be deconstructed. Tear filled hellos post your spouse's surgery when your marriage has been struggling, that cannot be deconstructed. The line of family members outside of your son's red Jeep when he comes home from college, because everybody wants a hug, that cannot be deconstructed. Holding your newborn baby, that cannot be deconstructed. The moment that you realize what you have to do, no matter how stressed, no matter how scared, no matter who loves it and who hates it, and you do it anyways, that can't be deconstructed. So I'm practicing believing, once again, that truth isn't something I hold, but something that eternally holds me and you.